Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we're excited to begin a brand new series entitled A Portrait of Christian Faithfulness. So let's turn on our Bibles to 3 John as we join Dr. Newfeld now. When we as Christians think about our role models, and I mean here other Christians that we both admire and seek to emulate, well, you might notice that we tend to divide our heroes into two categories. I mean, one category are Christian leaders, and the second category, everyday Christians who, who aren't in full-time ministry, and that's really how it should be. You see, Hebrews 13 verse 7 says, remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That is, look to faithful Bible-teaching pastors who have taught you the word and and look to their lives. I mean, there's so much to be learned from faithful Bible teachers and pastors. Imitate them. You know, Paul says that very same thing to Timothy, who has been his right-hand man for some time. And writing right before his own death, 2 Timothy 2.2 gives Timothy instructions. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. There you have it. This is the role of teaching and preaching pastors. They are to be faithful men whose teaching transforms the lives of others. And that's why for many of us, when, when we think of people who have touched our lives in Christ, teaching pastors always make that list. But how many of us wouldn't also mention that Sunday school teacher or that volunteer in youth ministry or a home Bible study leader or an exemplary Christian at work or in, perhaps in the university? I mean, the list of both full-time Christian workers and influential lay leaders and lay servants who have transformed the lives of others and made an impact on our lives, well, that list is a long one. See, these are exemplary servants, and we should imitate their lives. But there's more. Many of us were deeply influenced by our godly parents who may have had no position of prominence in the Christian church, but they were faithful to their children, and also they were often faithful to their children's friends. I mean, thank God for everyday, ordinary Christian heroes. And this combination, or shall we say, this partnership between faithful preachers of the Word and faithful everyday Christian followers, well, that's amazingly effective. And if you read the New Testament carefully, you'll find this very combination on display. And as I say, you have to observe carefully. And that's because on the one hand, you might be forgiven for assuming that, you know, that the New Testament only portrays the lives of, you know, leaders and teachers. You know, after all, Jesus selects the 12 and he teaches them, but, you know, he often condemns the crowds. And when we come to the book of Acts, we hear of Peter and John, Paul, James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and we hear of the Council of Jerusalem where leading pastors met together to decide the fate of the Gentile mission, and we hear of Paul appointing teaching elders in every city, and well, so on. See, there are lots of examples of faithful preachers and leaders. But look a little closer. And you'll find example after example of everyday godly people advancing the gospel. So consider Luke 8, verses 1 to 3. It says, Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. 
and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Or from Mark 5, verses 18 to 20, we find the account of the man who had the legion of demons cast out of him. You know, the demons entered the pigs and the pigs were drowned in the Sea of Galilee. I think you know the account. Well, listen to what happened next. The passage says, and as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Well, there it is, a faithful man who makes Jesus known in his region. He's not an apostle. He doesn't lead a local church. He's not known outside of this one example in the scripture. So we've got to imagine him telling of Jesus and his grace and power to everyone who would listen, just faithful in his town. It's probably it. And this matter of ordinary faithful followers of Jesus is not just seen in the Gospels, that is, in the ministry of Jesus. It's also found in the book of Acts, which chronicles the life of the early church. It's also found in the epistles or the New Testament letters. Consider the book of Philippians. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 29 to 30. It's a passage which mentions a man by the name of Epaphrodites, who was most likely a deacon in his local church in Philippi, Greece. Listen as Paul describes this remarkable everyday Christian. He says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I'm sorry. Have you never heard of Epaphrodites? Well, he was a faithful servant of Jesus. He was faithful in his local church who most likely never preached a sermon, but of whom Paul said, honor such men. That is, honor the everyday, ordinary servants of Jesus who have been faithful. Or listen to Paul's instructions to the church regarding two Christian women. You know, for some reason, they ended up in a dispute with each other. Listen to what Paul writes to the entire church about this situation. And here I'm reading Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I entreat you, Oidea, and I entreat Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Yeah. These women might have been in a dispute, but Paul reminds the church and us who are reading this 2,000 years later that these everyday Christian women labored side by side with Paul so that the gospel might go to the entire world. Wonderful, everyday, faithful believers in Jesus. And so this is the nature of all sorts of everyday faithful and effective and reproducing men and women of Christ who made up the followers of Jesus and the people in the first Christian church. Now, why am I mentioning all of this? Well, I'm doing so because I'm introducing a one-week study of the shortest book in the New Testament, the book of 3 John. This book is only 219 words long, or to put it another way, a book with but one chapter consisting of 15 short verses, and that's it. 
You can read it in a matter of a few minutes. And if you're reading your Bible through in a year, let's say, well, no doubt you've read this book along with other material on the same day. You know, simply flying through this short book and perhaps you didn't even notice. But that's just the point. This book is very important, but it's not important like Romans. Romans, you see, is Christianity 101. It lays out the basis for some of the most important Christian doctrines, and it gives the ground floor of Christian theology. Romans is doctrinal. It covers everything from justification by faith to our position in Christ to the growth into holiness and and so forth. Its, Its doctrinal breadth is amazing. Well, 3 John isn't like that at all. In fact, if you knew anything about how ancient letters were written, this book reads exactly like an ancient letter, or in this case, just a short note. It starts with a greeting which mentions first the sender of the letter and the one who would then receive it. And then after the introduction, we have a short body of the letter followed by a benediction, and with that, it's done. And furthermore, since we really don't know the man who receives this letter, that is, a man named Gaius, were quick to pass this letter by. It must have been a note to an ancient Christian which included instructions about a local situation which we really don't know anything about. We also don't even know with certainty where Gaius lived. Indeed, the other two people mentioned in this letter, a man named Diotrephes and then another man named Demetrius, well, this is the only place in the New Testament in which all three of these men, Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius, are mentioned. And that's a point. Third John is another example of faithful New Testament believers who are not pastors or teachers. But here I need to correct myself. Third John is actually an example of two faithful men and then another man who is actually unfaithful. But this book should interest every single lay Christian today. It portrays what it is to be faithful to the gospel when the spotlight is not on you. It helps us see what the lives of everyday faithful men and women looked like. Well, very good. That's the beginning of our study. This is a brief picture of what faithfulness looks like for you. From February 7th through the 16th, 2020, make plans to join us for our Back to the Bible Canada Laugh Again Southern Caribbean Cruise. You'll be sailing the seas for nine days aboard Royal Caribbean's Explorer of the Seas, visiting Aruba, Carousel, Bonaire, and more. You'll be joining Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, and now confirmed special friends and musicians Shane and Angela Weeb. I guarantee you'll be spiritually enriched and challenged, you'll laugh and be encouraged, and you'll enjoy great fellowship and refreshment. Come on your own or with family and friends as you enjoy incredible ports of call, everything the ship has to offer, and a week of ministry designed specifically for the occasion. Check it all out at backtothebible.ca, laughagain.ca, or call 1-800-663-2425. Before we get going in our study of 3 John, let's take a little step back, shall we? I noticed that the New Testament has four of these one-chapter books. Uh, They are the book of 2 John, and then the book of 3 John, the book of Jude, and also the book of Philemon. They're all short. 
They all speak to a very specific situation, and unfortunately, they're often ignored. Why are they there? Well, let's start with the book of Jude. Unlike 2nd and 3rd John, Jude is written either to a local church or to even a group of churches. Jude is interested in helping believers to resist false teachers and to contend for the one true faith. And Philemon, well, that's written to a wealthy Christian businessman who needs to rethink his relationship to his own slaves. But 2nd and 3rd John are written to individual lay Christians who, who are just trying to be faithful in their local church and who are endeavoring to fulfill the plan that God had for their lives. And so whereas 2nd John is written to an unnamed woman, whom John simply calls the elect lady, 3rd John is written to a man named Gaius. And we'll soon learn just how this unknown Christian was faithful to the gospel and who lived out his life in faithfulness to Jesus Christ, his Lord and Master. 2nd John and 3rd John are very similar. Indeed, a great many Christian teachers have referred to them as twin letters. But as has been said, if they're twins, they're certainly not identical twins. They're fraternal twins. That is, the two letters do have a lot in common, but as we're going to see, the the two letters are actually quite unique. You know, for starters, both letters are short. 2nd John has 13 verses, 3rd John has 15 verses, although 3rd John is actually shorter in its actual word length. Both letters are also written by the same author, it's John. And in both letters, he doesn't call himself John, he simply calls himself the elder, the pastor of a local church. But make no mistake, the author is the same John that wrote both the Gospel of John, the book of 1st John, as well as the book of Revelation. He is one of the 12 whom Jesus chose and designated as an apostle. Indeed, John was the youngest of the 12, and and he frequently refers to himself in those days as, as the one whom Jesus loved. I mean, seeing his tender age, Jesus must have taken him under his wing and personally cared for him. John also outlived the other apostles. You know, by the time he writes 3rd John, probably around 85 to 90, And then, of course, when he writes the book of Revelation in the early 90s, well, by then, all the other apostles have already died. Indeed, all of them have been martyred. John lived out the later years of his life in the city of Ephesus. You might remember that Jesus had given John instructions on the cross. John 19, verse 26 says, "When, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And so John cared for Mary as he would have his own mother. And Mary, no doubt, followed John to Ephesus where she lived out her life. If you go to the ancient ruins of Ephesus today, you're going to find a traditional burial site for Mary, the mother of Jesus, there. And that may indeed be the original site. But all of that to say that John in his later years, as much as the rigors of his early life of planting churches are, are now behind him, found himself in the later years both overseeing at least seven churches in his area, as well as having the time to write and leaving the future church with the revelation that he had received from the Lord. And third John begins with the words, the elder. And that's how John introduces himself. And if you think about it, that shouldn't surprise us. Peter speaks about himself in just the same fashion, and you might remember that in 1 Peter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, writes Peter. So let's understand the terminology. 
Elder is the title that was given to the leaders in the early church. Peter called them shepherds, that is, pastors. Their task was to give leadership to the church, to preach the gospel, and to secure the progress for the faith of everyday believers. They were the pastors and teachers and the governors of every local church. And so we can see that the apostles not only gave us the scriptures and oversaw the universal church, but they actually performed a dual role. They, they were both apostles, but they were also local elders at the same time. And as elders, they served as a part of the local preaching and teaching team. And so when John identifies himself as the elder, he's speaking about his role as both a preacher and as one who makes sure that everyday Christians are progressing in their faith. And at the same time, that they're using their spiritual gifts to to reach out to the lost and to, to build up the local body of believers. And so in 3 John, John writes as an apostle, to be sure. I mean, as an apostle, we can be assured that 3 John comes to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and therefore this short letter is a part of those writings that we know are inspired and the inerrant word of God. But 3 John begins with the words, the elder. And as such, 3 John is written out of John's concern as a local pastor to a regular faithful Christian by the name of Gaius. Now, we don't know where Gaius lived. I mean, he might have lived in Ephesus where John lived. But remember, from reading the book of Revelation, it's logical to assume that John gave leadership in at least seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So it seems to me that Gaius could have been a member in any one of those churches. And furthermore, since John addresses him, we have to assume that that Gaius has been mentored by John and that John has overseen his progress in the faith. And that's why John addresses him as the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So it's quite natural for anyone who disciples another that that relationship progresses far beyond the relationship between a teacher and a disciple. But rather, what happens here is a deeply rooted friendship. Now, it's at this point that we should see some of the similarities between the books of 2nd and 3rd John. 2nd John is written to a woman. John calls her the elect lady, and then he addresses her children. So I have to assume that in order to assure that the relationship between John and this woman is never misunderstood, and in order to assure that it will always be rooted in the purity of the gospel, John is somewhat formal in his address to a person of the opposite sex. And I think that's good counsel. Christian pastors need to shepherd women as well as men. But in order to establish that the relationship of love between them is a godly love and never a sexual love, John actually models how that might be done. But in 3 John, John is far more direct because Gaius is a man and he addresses him by his name. Now, now here's where we see both the similarity and difference between these two books. You know, in both letters, we see John expressing that he loves both this woman and then also Gaius the man in truth, that is, in the truth of the gospel of Jesus. In both letters, John says that he has heard great reports about the progress of the faith of both. And in both letters, John expresses his desire to see them face to face. And in both letters, we can see that the church is meeting in their respective houses. 
Now, let's be clear. I'm relatively sure that the early church was so much more than just a series of house churches. It seems clear to me that the church in every city had found a a common place of meeting where the entire church would meet together. But the house churches, well, they were very much like what we might call home Bible study groups today. Believers would gather together and study the Word, but they also prophesied to each other, they instructed each other, they trained each other in the use of spiritual gifts, and they were also active in outreach to their larger community. And when we read 2 John, we see that the elect lady, it's a woman that has many positive virtues, yet she has a critical error. She's allowed false teachers into her house church who had influenced those who met in her home. That is to say, the lady elect was not as discerning as she ought to have been. She needed to be taught to understand the importance of good Christian doctrine so that she might be wise in whom she gave platform to speak in her house. Don't make room for false teachers, John writes her. But as we're also going to see, that was not Gaius' problem. The church also met in his home, and Gaius had made every effort to support worthy Christian teachers. No hint that he ever supported false teachers. But here's a spoiler alert. Gaius needed to learn how to handle those who were engaged in a power play. He needed to learn how to stop people who are not submissive to faithful Christian leaders. And so what do we learn from this? Third John will provide us with a wonderful portrait of what faithfulness means for everyday Christians. John, it becomes apparent that there's so many important characters in the Bible that aren't pastors and teachers. What do we make of them? Yeah, it's so important, even Ben, as you say that, you know, to repeat those words. How many important, you know, lay people, for lack of a better word, people who didn't teach but who were faithful um, that we actually find in in the New Testament and then throughout the years of church history? Um, I think, you know, for a great many of them, we're going to have to wait till we get to glory. But, you know, Ben, I do have a memory in my years as pastoral ministry that uh, we would often have just a, a time, like in June, we would honor uh, people who had done something that we noticed. And so we just gave an award at a banquet for them just so that we might remember their important contribution. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, A Portrait of Christian Faithfulness, right here on Back to the Bible Canada where we teach the Bible. It doesn't matter where you live. The secular culture around the globe has taken its hold in our communities. It's clear that as Christians, we can't isolate ourselves from the culture around us. We need to be set apart, but how can we do that? If Christians are called to do more than just condemn what is wrong, How do we do it? There's a culture that exists today that is destructive and harmful. So how can we live as an alternative to it? How can we truly live out the alternative lifestyle that God has called us to live? Well, the first step is to open the Bible and see what God's Word has to say. In Dr. Neufeld's series, An Alternative Lifestyle, Dr. John does just that by diving into the book of Philemon. And we're excited to offer the series to you on CD as our gift. To get your copy of An Alternative Lifestyle, all you need to do is visit us at backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.